Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. When I was in high school, my friends and I got really into UFC. And my youth pastor at the time would host fight nights, and we'd all head to his house, we'd order pay-per-view, eat a bunch of junk food, and watch dudes just beat the crap out of each other, which I think is every high schooler's dream. And every time we hung out, my friend Derek would always be there, and he would spend the entire night trying to pick a fight, right? That's what high school boys do when they're watching fighting. They just all want to fight each other. And Derek was super mouthy, and he also knew how to push buttons. And when you asked him to stop, he would always say, what are you going to do about it? Want to fight. He was very annoying. He was also originally from New York, which I think explains a lot as well. And so one night when Derek was doing his normal thing, driving everyone nuts, my friend Fong asked him to stop. And as usual, Derek responded, what are you going to do about it? Want to fight. But then something happened that had never happened before. Fong said yes. He snapped. And I didn't see how it happened, but within moments, Derek was on the ground in a chokehold, and Fong wasn't letting go. It kind of looked like this, right? Only way less tough than that. But it was chaos. And we assumed Fong was going to kill Derek, and so we're screaming, let him go, let him go. And Fong just keeps whispering in Derek's ear, just tap out. Just tap out. Now, if you have an older brother, you've been through this experience before. And for those of you who aren't fans of mixed martial arts, tapping out is when you tap the floor or your opponent to show that you accept that your competitor has beaten you, right? It's a way of giving up before the real pain or real damage sets in. But Derek wouldn't tap out. And so we're screaming, just tap out, just tap out. And he didn't. And then Derek was completely knocked out on the floor of my youth pastor's house. In case you're wondering why collective is the way it is, that's what I grew up in. (laughs) What would it take for you to tap out? How far would you let a fight go before you threw in the towel? How much pain would you let be inflicted on yourself? Maybe not even in a fight, just talk about life in general. How long would you let something go in your life before you tapped out? Before you realized that your refusal to let go, to give up, to say I'm sorry, to stop being in control was going to end up with you blacked out on the floor or even worse. That's the scenario that Jonah finds himself in as we pick up his story today in our series Half-Hearted. Jonah's story begins with God telling Jonah to go and do something. And Jonah's response is very similar to the response I give when God tells me and asks me to do something that I don't want to do. No. And then Jonah, what he does, he gets on a ship in an attempt to run away from God. But God didn't give up on Jonah. God pursued Jonah. And what that looks like in Jonah's story is God sends a storm and threatens to sink the ship that he's on. After fighting the storm and throwing all their supplies overboard, eventually the crew agrees that the only way they're going to get through this is to throw Jonah into the sea. So that's what they do. And this is how Jonah 1 ends. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, before we go any further, let's talk about the fish. I promised you last week that we would talk about it this week. And maybe you've heard this story as a kid, or maybe this series is the first time you've heard this story. Either way, I know what some of you are thinking. This is why I don't believe the Bible. Right? A man swallowed by a fish, it's ridiculous. It's scientifically impossible for a human being to stay alive inside of a fish in the ocean for three days. 
And I agree. As a matter of fact, people can survive three weeks without food, three days without water, and only three minutes without oxygen. So Jonah would be lucky to stay alive for three minutes tops. Right? I agree, you agree, God agrees because he created us and our bodies to be that way. So you're right. Jonah should have died. To be thrown overboard in a storm and be swallowed by a fish is an automatic death sentence if God hadn't stepped in and kept him alive. And so you're right. The only explanation for Jonah not dying is that God supernaturally jumped into the situation and did something to save him. And so there are two things that we all need to wrestle with with this story when it comes to the fish. The first is this. If you believe there is a God, not everybody here believes that, and that's okay. But if there is a God and he created the universe... I don't think it's a big deal to create a fish, right? It's not like God is in heaven going, I can create stars, but this fish thing really has me stumped, right? If there is a God and he created the universe, I don't think he broke a sweat when it came to creating a fish for a special occasion. Second, can't you look back over the story of your own life and realize that if God hadn't done something or changed something or protected you or provided something for you outside of the ordinary, you wouldn't be here. Right? I mean, isn't that our story? We've ended up in situations, and I know that I have, that honestly, it would be easier to explain how it's possible to stay alive in the sea in a fish for three days. It'd be easier for me to explain how Jonah survived than it is to explain why I'm alive, why I'm still married, why I'm still functioning, why I still have the relationships that I have, why I'm still able to have the life that I live. Right? Isn't that our story? So if this is hard for you, don't dismiss it too quickly. Because even though you might not think the story is real, right? You might think it's just all a fairy tale. It can still have a huge impact on your life today if you let it. So let's get to chapter 2. This is how it starts in Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called, I called to you from the land of the dead, and, and Lord, you heard me. Now, I think it's really easy to breeze over this portion of the story of Jonah, right? Because it's not action, right? We want the part where he disobeys God. We want the part where he gets swallowed by fish. We want the part where he ends up on dry land and gets spit out, which, spoiler alert, that's what happens in the end. But we end up skipping over this part because we don't really want to read his prayer. But it matters. Because over the past few days, Jonah has made some very bad decisions. Right? God, I know what you want me to do. I'm not doing it. I know what you want me to say. I'm not saying it. I know where you want me to go. I'm not going there. And because of that, he is at a point in his life that he describes as great trouble, which I think is an understatement, right? He says, from the land of the dead. In other words, he's saying, I'm as good as dead. I've lost everything in my life. This is my final resting place. And this is the point in his story where he finally makes a good decision. Right? He cries out to God and says, help me. By the way, if praying really isn't your thing, or if you're wondering how you can start praying, this is a great prayer. Dear God, help me. Amen. When our lives fall apart, and actually I'm just going to speak on behalf of myself here. When my life falls apart, when something horrible or painful or threatening happens to me, most of the time my response is not to call out to God. Right? My first response is to blame God, to put a finger in his chest to get mad at him. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why won't you make this stop? God, if you love me, you'd keep hard and painful stuff away from my life and away from the lives of the people that I love. This is what I tend to do, and I know some of you tend to do the same thing, but not Jonah, at least not this time. Look at the next few verses. 
He says, you threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Now he's not blaming God, right? He's just admitting that that's how he got here. And this is really important because a lot of us make bad decisions. We run from God, we disobey God, and then we feel the weight of those choices. But instead of owning our own crap, we blame God for letting bad things happen to us. Right, so Jonah is saying, I ran from God, I got on the boat, God came after me, and now I'm stuck in a fish. Then I said, oh Lord, you've driven me from your presence, yet I look once more toward your holy temple. Well, Jonah's just saying, like, I know I'm in this place, like, I think I'm gonna die, I think this is the end of my life, but I know you're here with me. Right, even, this is the lowest moment of his life, he doesn't know if he'll ever get out of this, but he still, he still feels God's presence. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. This is my favorite detail in this part of the story. This is the detail when you're having a bad day, like you wake up late, the drive through is super long at Starbucks, you hit traffic, you finally get to your office, but you left a proposal on your counter, then you go to take a sip of your latte and it's the wrong drink, right? Is it a big deal? No. But in that moment, does it make you want to hulk something and chuck a latte across the room and start screaming about whatever barista messed it up? Yes, that's Jonah, right? He's in the lowest part of his life. He's like, just for fun, God decided to wrap seaweed around my head. And he continues, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. So he's saying, this is the bottom. Like, this is it. This is the worst day of my life. I don't think he can get any worse. I'm almost dead. But then he says these two words in Jonah 2, verse 6. He says, but you, but you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. Right? I ran, but you, O Lord, my God, you chased after me. I sank down, but you, O Lord, my God, you lifted me up. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. And this is Jonah's aha moment. It took everything in his life to get to this one point. And here's what he finally realized. Those who worship false gods, now false gods or false idols are things that can't take care of you, but you think they can, right? Money, power, people, or even other gods. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. Another version actually says that we turn our backs on God's love, on God's grace. So Jonah realizes that he's been clinging to false gods, He's been holding on to, running after, depending on, counting on things that are actually worthless, useless, empty. And in doing so, he's been missing out on God's grace, God's strength, on being connected to God. And it took this storm and this fish to get him to see that. And that leads to a change in Jonah's thinking. This is what it says in verse 9. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. So this entire prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. Right? He says, thank you, God, that you're saving me. But here's the thing. He's still in the fish. Nothing has changed. He still has seaweed wrapped around his head. He's still down at the bottom of the ocean. He still thinks he is going to die. And that's really hard to understand. Because the thing is, he has no promise that he'll get out of the fish. But Jonah's response is to say, I've been saved. You've offered me salvation. Whether he gets out of this fish or he dies in the belly, Jonah realizes that he's been clinging to the wrong things. And because of that, he's been missing out on what God has been offering him all along, grace. And then the story ends. 
Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, I don't want to be critical of the Bible, but here's my problem with chapter two. I think a lot of us read this and begin to think that's how it works. Right? According to the Bible, if I end up in a really tough, really hard, really difficult situation, all I have to do is say a prayer and boom, I get out. Right? And, and that's what it seems like. But that's just not the reality. I mean, I guess it happens sometimes. It kind of happened for Jonah. But I know for me, that's never how it's worked in my own life. See, here's the thing. I don't know if Jonah prayed the prayer in the first three minutes he was in the fish before he suffocated, but then had to wait three days before it spit him out. Or if Jonah prayed the prayer in the last three minutes because it took him three days to figure out that he should ask God for help. But I wonder this. I wonder how many pages and chapters the book of Jonah would be if he wrote down everything that went through his mind while he was in a fish for three days. So yes, Jonah called out to God and was saved, spiritually. But there was no promise that he would save be saved physically. Those two things are not contingent on each other. It just happens to be what happened to Jonah. And that's what happened in chapter two. And there's a lot that we can learn from this part of Jonah's story, but there are three things that I'm gonna point out today. There are three things that are true for all people in all circumstances. The first is that we all have storms in our life. Now I'm gonna say that again, because I wanna make sure every part of that is understood. We all have storms in our life. And the reason why I say it twice is because we do a really good job of shaming other people's storms. We do a really good job of seeing somebody else's life and thinking, you don't know what, what hard is, you don't know what difficult is, you don't know how tough this is. Instead of focusing on the stuff that we're going through, we like to bring other people down. And so the first thing that we have to understand is that we all have storms. I have storms and I'm not the only person. You have storms and you are not the only person. They're all different. They all feel different. Some of us, uh, these end when we're in the belly of the fish waiting for death. Some of these storms end with a ship barely making it to shore, but no one is exempt from this. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the storms in our life come from the fact that we're running from God. And because of that, we have hurt ourselves and the people around us. Now, anytime we talk about pain, anytime we talk about storms, anytime we talk about bad things happening, there's always one question that gets brought up. Either I'll get an email or someone in the lobby. And the question is always the same. Why? Why does, why does God allow one kind of storm to happen to those people and allow a different kind of storm to happen to somebody else? Why? And the truth is, I don't know. Why did that happen to those people over in that country? I don't know. Why did that happen to her? I don't know. And I know that you hate that answer because we want to know why storms happen, why bad things happen, why pain happens. I want to understand my storm. Like, I want to understand her storm. I want to know why he's going through a divorce. I want to know why she has cancer. I want to know why they can't get pregnant or he can't find a job or she struggles with depression. I want to know why. But here's the truth. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean there's not an answer. It just means that you don't understand. Maybe not yet. Maybe you will at some point, even though there's no guarantee. And, and the thing is, for a lot of you, this is what you get hung up on when it comes to God. Like you want to know why. Our tendency is to look around and try to figure out everybody else's storm. But here's an announcement that you're gonna hate. It's not our job. That's not our job. But it is our job to understand that everybody has storms in their life even if we don't always understand why. I'll give you a few examples from the Bible. Back in Jesus's day, a couple of things happened while Jesus was out teaching. One was that there was a priest in the temple in Jerusalem and the king wanted to make an example of him. And so the king actually had him slaughtered. They took his blood and they put it all over the altar in order to defile the whole church. 
And the reason why the king did this is because he wanted to send a message to all Jewish people that Rome conquered you, you're our slaves, don't forget about it. Then a few days later, some men were walking by a tower and the tower fell over, killing 18 people. And so some people came up to Jesus after all this happened and they began to ask him the same question that we ask all the time, why? There was a tower that fell over, killing a group of men. Some people were murdered in the temple. Why? Why? We want to understand why bad things have happened. Why did a storm hit their life? Why did God allow these these things to happen? Why didn't God just stop the bad things from occurring? And Jesus didn't answer them. He didn't explain why. He actually turned the question back on them and asked them this in Luke 13. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? And so Jesus responds, do you think they're worse people than you? Is that what you think? If you're good, then you don't have storms in your life, but if you're bad, God drops buildings on you. Is that how you think it all works? Is this the question that you're trying to figure out? Why do bad things happen to good people? Is that what got you all locked up with God? And the thing is, they couldn't answer him. But the truth is, Jesus knew the answer. He's God. Jesus knows everything. He knows why and how everything happens. He knows where every storm came from, why every cancer cell divides, why that marriage blew apart, why cars cross the line and slam into other cars. And if necessary, Jesus could and would explain it to you and everybody else involved if that was the best thing for you. But the answer to why wasn't what they or what we need to know because it doesn't help anyways. And I know that pains some of you, but you know it's true. Knowing why does not stop storms from coming and knowing why doesn't make storms go away. And you're spending too much time trying to figure out the whys. But here's the bigger question. What about you? What if you or somebody you loved was murdered in the temple? What if you or somebody you loved was killed when a tower fell? What if that same storm hit your boat? Because we know this and we feel this. We will have storms. That's a part of life. Even if we do everything right, they still come. So what are you going to do? What will you do when a storm hits your life? Because either because you made a big mistake or someone else in your life did something that hurts you, what will you do? What will save you then? And here's the answer, and this is what Jonah knew. Salvation is found in one place and one place only. Salvation comes from the Lord. And so the second takeaway for today is everybody has storms and only God can save us. No one else. Jonah couldn't save himself. His family couldn't save him. His friends couldn't save him. The sailors couldn't save him. Only God could save him. And the same is true for us and the people in our life. And if we're gonna make it through the storms in our life, the addiction that has wrecked our life, the grief as we mourn the loss of a loved one, the clear and obvious calling from God that we're running away from, whatever it is, if we are going to make it through the storm, it's because salvation comes from God and God alone. Being saved only comes from God. And all God tells us to do when we see other people going through storms is to help them, empathize with them, walk alongside them. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Now, let me clear a few things up for us. I think a lot of us are confused about this word salvation. When we hear someone say, God saved me or salvation, we think this, I got out of the fish, right? We think that's what saved means. My problem went away, my storm went away, preferably right away if possible, Right, I prayed, God saved me, I went on with my life. There were no repercussions. Just last week, I was driving from my house to the office and I noticed a cop in my rear view rapidly approaching. And I knew exactly why. I wasn't speeding, 
I didn't run a stop, stop sign. I was scrolling through Spotify on my phone. And that's not the first time I've been busting on my phone while driving. It's an $84 ticket, people. Don't do it. And listen, you can judge me all you want. You do it. You just haven't been caught. I'm just the idiot that's been caught twice. <laughs> but as he got closer and closer, I did what we all do when we see the blue and red in our, in our rear view. God, please don't let it be me. Right? Please have him drive around me. Maybe it's an emergency. We pray for an emergency, right? God, please save me. Save me. I lied to my boss. I cheated on my wife. I gossiped about my friend. We cry out, God save me. But what we really mean is, God, help me get away with it. All the way to just take away the consequences. But rarely when we ask God to save me, do we mean, as I go through this, save me. Take care of me. Rescue me. Keep this from crushing me. Use this to teach me. Remind me of who you are because I forgot. Remind me of how much you love me. Forgive me of my sins. Change me and bring me back to you. The other thing about salvation that I want to clear up is this. While the decision to run from God is always yours, you can do that anytime you want, you need to know this. Once you run, once you say no to God, once you set in motion all the things that are set in motion by your decision, you don't have any more say in how far those ripples will reach. You can choose to have an affair, but you have no say in how far the devastation goes. You can choose to get addicted. You can choose to lie and cheat and steal. You can. That is your decision. But once it happens, you have no more say in how many dominoes get knocked over by what you've done. Now think about it, because a lot of us have been in that place before. You don't get to simply go to the people that you've hurt and say, let's move on. It doesn't work like that. You can't be the savior to the, so the, to the storm that you cause in someone else's life. You can repent. You can turn away from the life that you're living. You can turn toward God. You can seek out forgiveness. You can completely change your life. And all those are very good things. But you cannot save those people from the storms that you've caused, no matter how hard you try, because you are not God. You're not their savior. Here's the last teaching from this chapter. So everybody has storms. Only God can save us. And the third thing is this. Receiving grace is a choice. If you are going through a storm in your life, and maybe the storm has already hit you and you're sitting in your fish currently. And maybe your fish is that you're living with a decision that a judge has put on you. You made some bad choices. Now you can't control how many times you see your kid each month. Right? Maybe you're locked in a financial situation or a medical crisis. Whatever is happening to you, good or bad, fair or unfair, understandable or incredibly frustrating, please know this. The reason you don't have grace in your life or experience peace in your life. The reason you're not experiencing God's presence in your life is not because God is not offering it to you, right? It's not, I would have peace if God would just take my storm away. It's not, I would have joy if God would change my circumstances. It's not, I would have grace if God would let me out of this fish. That's not why we don't have grace or peace in our life. The reason is because we keep choosing to run from God. We keep trying to hold on to those false things in our life that, that we think bring security, that we think bring hope, that we think bring something good, but they don't. And we keep holding on to these things, hoping that if we can figure this out on our own, if we can make it on our own, if we can solve our own problems, we'll be okay. And we know that's not true. And I'm not a prophet, but let me just tell you what's gonna happen. And the reason why I know this is because it's happened a lot in my own life. Here's what a lot of us do. A storm will hit you. It's inevitable. It'll hit you. And then you're going to try to understand why everything is happening in your life. You're going to try to find all the answers to connect all the dots, to force it to make sense. And a lot of times Christians do this where they try to force things to make sense, right? And they're like, oh, God must have wanted this for me or this for me. And, this. and that's just not true. Right? The thing is we messed up. Like we're in a storm. It hurts. 
And the thing is, we try to force a conclusion, we try to force something to make sense that doesn't make sense at all. The thing is, we won't be able to do it. And then what happens is we get mad. We start assigning blame. This is my parents' fault. It's my ex-husband's fault. It's God's fault. This is whoever's fault. And then you're going to do and say some things that result in you running further away from God. Maybe it's because this will th- you think this will make your life easier, but most of the time we're just trying to cope. Either way, you'll start thinking it'll make your life better to sleep with the girl that you just met, to drink one more glass of wine, to spend a few minutes on the internet when no one else is around, but it won't. And you might try to go through four or five other steps, but eventually you're going to come to the end of yourself. And you can do one of two things. You can be stubborn and angry and too prideful to ask for help, leaving you to die in your fish. Or you can come to the end of yourself and end up exactly where you should have been in the first place. And you can throw up your hands in the air and cry out, God, help me. God, save me. Rescue me. And he will. He will. Probably not in the way you thought he would. But however he rescues you, however he saves you, in your circumstance, in your storm, it'll be the most loving and most right way of saving you. So if you really want to experience God's grace and God's love and God's mercy and God's peace in your life, you run to him, not away from him. And so please know that there is a God and he is with you in your storm and in your fish. Whatever you are going through right now, whether it's the beginning, the middle, or then, God is with you and he loves you. And even if you run from him and you've abandoned him, God will not run from you and God has not abandoned you. If God has done any running, we know that it's running towards you because he is a God who saves. And it's easy to run from God, but it's impossible to outrun him. No matter how far you run or how fast you go, God will meet you there. So you might feel distant from God right now. You might be wondering where God is in your life. You might be wondering where God is in your storm. But he is there offering grace, offering mercy, offering love. The thing is, we just have to get to a point where we remember that. We have to get to a point in our life where we realize that we can't solve it. The things that we're holding on to won't provide relief. We have to get to a place where we finally let go, throw our hands up in the air and just cry out to God, God, save me. And he will. Let's pray. God, I know that that every single person in this room is in the middle of a storm. God, some of them, it's just right in the middle. God, for some of us, it's the beginning or the end, and God, we don't really know what's coming. But God, I I pray that whatever uh, that we are going through, whatever the people in this room are going through, God, whether it's divorce or financial crisis or medical crisis or bad decisions that have left us uh, unable to love our kids or see our kids or uh, bad decisions that have pushed us further down into addiction and further away from the things that bring us peace and hope. God, I pray that whatever storm we are dealing with right now, that we know and feel your presence. God, that we recognize that as far as we run away from you, you're always still there. God, it doesn't matter how far we've pushed you away. It doesn't matter what sin we have in our life. God, you don't turn your back on us. God, you're not repulsed by us. God, even when we get to the point of our life, we're at the lowest of the low, we're in a fish, we think we're gonna die. Your presence is still there. But God, I pray that, uh, that not only that we know that, But God, I pray this week for for those of us who have been in this storm for a long time, trying to find a solution, trying to figure it out on our own. God, I pray this is the week where we throw our hands up in the air and say, okay, I'm done. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of disobeying. I'm just tired. God, please save me.
God, we're just so thankful that you give us that opportunity. God, we're thankful that grace is available, that mercy is available, that love is available. And God, we're thankful that we get to read Jonah's story because we just relate so much. God, thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us. Thank you that you're always there, always present, always offering us what's best for us. But God, I just pray this week we can move a little bit closer to that and move a little bit further away from ourselves. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.